Well, good morning. I am glad that you're here with us today. I have invited a couple of my friends um, to visit with me as we talk about uh, this series that we've been doing called I Love This Place. And you know what? I, I really do. I love this place. And I know some of you this morning are new and you may even be here for your first time. And you might be saying... I don't love this place, <laughs> and that's okay. That is okay. What we're doing is just sharing with you some of the things for us, um, who we are as a church. And so if you are new with us this morning, you have really picked a great day to be here to kind of get to peek behind the scenes of who we are as a church. And so we're just kind of, we're not hiding anything. We're just kind of laying it out there. And we are definitely an imperfect church. We have, we, we have not figured this thing out, but we are in the process together as imperfect people trying to discover how we can do this thing together that God has called us to do. I've invited Miss Lori and Miss Judy to share with us a little bit. And I want to start with Miss Lori and ask you, as you came the first time, we were talking about this just a moment ago. Um, what, um, when you were one of the, our f- friends who they have come for their first time, what did it feel like for you? Um, what did you have some fears? What was kind of going on? I was scared to death. Uh-huh. I came in and I thought, you know, I don't know anybody. I looked around, walked up, and the first thing it says, What's your name? <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, but you know, Diana had invited me, uh-huh. and she was here and was here to help me come in and greet and people. kind of get through yeah. that porch experience. But as soon as I walked down, I mean, everybody was so welcoming. It was like, yeah. "Hey, we're glad you're here. It's nice to meet you. Yeah. You know, come back." Good. I walked in. The music was rocking. I loved Good. it. I was like, "Wow, this is nothing <laughs> I've ever seen before." And then. I saw you. Uh, <laughs> a little scary. Hi, a little scary. You're a pastor. Yeah, I I'm either get confused for, well, mostly I think Ron said it right one time. The um, maintenance man, um, which is okay because I do a lot of maintenance and I'm not good at it, but I try. So that was um, so things were just different. Yes. Um, but. Um, the with each step kind of closer into this experience maybe was it a little bit easier oh it was easier after the, the first time of being here when i came back the next week everybody was like oh wow you're back good yeah. glad to have you here uh-huh. you know and it got easier and easier every week and you started meeting people and you know it was just it was awesome it's like you know i've never been to a church that everybody was accepted for who they were okay there were no expectations yeah you know well cool well, you know, I think also one thing I noticed is I can't remember when. I know y'all might, but I just I know, Miss Lori, you have been involved in what we call small groups for many semesters. Um, do you recall by the time you signed up for your first group, did you have some anxiety about that? Do you do you remember? I did because. I mean, I think it was right after I started coming to church, it was about time to start signing up for small group, and I thought, okay, I want to meet some more people. I want to try. You know, I just want to see what it's all about. Uh-huh. So I signed up, and I signed up with um, Ronnie and Cindy's okay. group, and was petrified the first time I walked in. <laughs> it, was, it was unknowing. Yes. It was not knowing anybody. Yes. Walked in. They made me feel so welcome. Good. You know, I was going through a really difficult time in my uh-huh. life with uh-huh. my dad's sickness and stuff. Yeah. And... 
they became friends. Yeah. You know, family. They were people that I could talk to uh, if I wanted to break down and cry at group. Mm-hmm. You know, they were there for me. They prayed for me. Yeah. They checked on me through the week. And crying's not um, not uh, mandatory, no, is it? No, no, but no. sometimes it does happen because right. we we are all we all have lives right. that. Uh, that have hurts mm-hmm. and people we love that are hurting, mm. and so the, it gives you that safety that we don't always have, maybe in here. And I guess it's safe in here because it's dark. So if we shed a tear in here or something, nobody knows because we do it all the time in the movies, don't we, guys? We just don't let them know. Um, but it's a little safe. It's safe in here because it's dark. But in there. You're with people who who love you and care about you. Exactly. Um, how did you guys meet? Because y'all ended up in a group together as well. We did. Um, I I didn't even know who Lori was, and Cindy had been had told me that her father had passed away, and she came in one day. She said, "You need to meet Lori." So I yeah. walked over there and told her who I was, and then she came to our small group. And like I was sharing a while ago, at first we were just in, we were acquaintances. Yeah. Then we became friends, and uh-huh. now I feel like we're family. And you know? and really, your friendship happened in that group, didn't it? It did. Because it you did. were seeing we were each other. You know, and we're family here, I know that. But uh-huh. you become closer, and you yeah. can share things with each other, good and bad. And that's not a fast process, because no. y'all have been in a group together for several, y- several semesters, several semesters mm-hmm. maybe even more. So at least yeah. a couple of yeah. years. Yeah. And so... I don't want our folks to think that once you get in a group, you are hardcore for the next 10 years. You are in that group. Um, y'all have been, y'all have signed up together in the same group for semester after semester. Mm-hmm. And and that had allowed that friendship to grow. And it's gone beyond really friendship, yes, hasn't it? Um, I love getting a text from Laurie or other people in our group say, pray for me. I've got this going on. Uh-huh. You know, I feel like it's it's improved my prayer life a lot because, yeah. you know, but it's not just the bad times. And it's not just because Chris and our leaders, it's not just us taking care of those people. Uh-huh. They take care of us. Yeah. My mom passed away a year ago, and some of the first people I heard from was my group. Yeah. And, um, and that's where you really, from that circle of friends... Um, you got a lot of, uh, I, I don't, can't think of a better word than really care. I did. Um, I did. And, and I know y'all have gone through sickness and loss. And so for you, what has, um, what has the group meant for you? How had, here's a different way to say it. How has the group, um, helped helped you, helped you change, helped you continue to become who God has created you to be? Just... Ooh, table rocked, and I did too. <laughs> everyone's so caring, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually a really closed-off person, but they've allowed me, being, you know, going to group and getting to know these people and them trusting me with different things going on in their life. I trust them with things going on in my life. I know that I have somebody there. You know that I can, I can count on. I can call and say, "Hey, you know, mm-hmm. I I just need you." I can just look at them, and they're yeah. like, "Okay, here, come on, let's talk," yeah. you know, or whatever. Because you're, I, you you said it. I think I don't think I put words in your mouth. You're pretty private, um, aren't you? Yes. And so, um, f- the fact that you have allowed other people to share, because so, people who are private are usually also kind of strong, and we have a tendency to not um, not need other people and we really do but we have a tendency to kind of I'm just going to I'm just going to grit my teeth and bear this and get through it somehow. Right. 
but you, you have allowed people to actually walk with you through some of this. You know, I was saying the other day, life is not meant to be done alone. Yeah. And we need those people for the good times. I mean, we share good times. And it's not all bad, you know, yeah. but, but life is going on and right. life is tough. Mm-hmm. But we like to share those good times, but yet we like to know... It's okay to share the bad because right. everybody is having, you know, everybody's going right. through life. We all go through life. We don't need to do it alone. So we have the good times to celebrate, and when we have a tough time, we've got people who are there, and they're not going to force their way into our lives, but if we, as we allow them, they're there with us. And it's, it's been great to be able to meet other people because, I mean, you come in church and you get to meet the people mm-hmm. in the church, uh-huh. but until you're in a small, surrounded thing, you, I mean, you have time to interact. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you make lots of friends that way. Yeah, because we can show up here on Sundays and leave, and we can do that for years and never be connected. And we go in and we sit down. We eat. Mm. We eat every good. time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Lori likes to cook. So I mean, we go in and we eat and we visit beforehand. Yeah. And then. We have our group, and then a lot of times we stay. A lot of times after, after and yeah. you know, just visit. And it's something yeah. I look forward to when we have it. I look forward to Tuesdays every week. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Well, um, you know, I think uh, I, I, before we close, I know we're, we're really actually out of time, but I want to give you an opportunity to say something, Miss Judy, because as we were talking the other day, you mentioned how group is not just a place where people help carry our loads, and we actually get to be who God created us to be inside those groups. Um, I think I was telling you about people call me and ask me to pray for them. Mm-hmm. And I feel so honored yeah. that people would share their lives with me. Mm-hmm. And to me, we get to serve people like that. And mm-hmm. Laurie serves people feeding them. And then, I mean, I know she prays for everyone, too. Yeah. But as we fellowship with friends and mm-hmm. family, yeah. we become closer to God. We have fellowship with God. Yeah. And, you know, in First John, it says, and that brings us joy. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, so as we, we need each other. Yeah. And uh, I love group. I love SHC, and I love group. And I, when there, there are some Tuesdays, I'm like, oh, do I really want to go? I'm exactly. so tired. Yes. But I've never left there saying I'm glad. You know, I wish that I'd stayed a, home. That is a great point, Miss Judy. He can, yes. He can verify that. I'm like, I'm so glad we had this. I didn't want to come, but, you know, I just. And we are seasoned group people. And still, we have to sometimes talk ourselves into that night because we come home tired and from work, and we have to talk ourselves in, but we leave saying, you know what, I'm so glad that I did. Like, and that's, that was awesome. And that, yeah. means, that, that means it really is a discipline that we say, you know what, I'm going to do this. And, and I'm just going to unapologetically say that our goal for every single one of us, every single one of us, is that we always are involved in one of the small groups, always. If we're in Stuttgart Harvest Church, that we are part of a group. Um, I was listening to the radio station the other day, and they they said it best. They said um, that if, you know, it is possible to be a Christ follower and not be in a small group setting in a, in, in a church, or even it's possible to be a follower and not even be, uh, in a church that's possible yes it is but this this is what it's like it's also possible to be married and never go home mm-hmm. but
but you're not going to have a great relationship. Right. And that, and you cannot, the Bible really is clear on this. You cannot have a great relationship with your Creator, your Father, your Savior, if you are not a part of His church, His bride, because that's where His relationship is best. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds funky and it sounds weird. But it's really God's design. We were not meant to do this alone. We were meant to experience this together. Because guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be with him for eternity. This is just practice down here. This is just practice. And that's hard enough, isn't it? It's going to be perfect then. I'm so grateful that you all shared. Is there one thing that if you could just say anything at all to our family here today that you would just say? this? Anything at all? Any encouragement? Any? Any, you know, run, don't love this place, run away. Is there anything at all that you could say? I'd say get involved. Get okay. involved. Get in a group. It's it's the best thing for you. It's good for your soul. And coming from someone who is a private person, to me that says a whole lot. Yeah, so thank you guys for sharing. We're going to go straight into you're here this morning. That was uh, an interview we did in our first worship experience this morning. We wanted to share that with you. Um, as I have been a church planter since 2005, before that 17 years in the ministry working with teenagers, but from 2005 on I have been trying to learn the concept that we're going to be teaching you today. And, and one of the places that has really had a lot of influence in helping me learn and, and especially in, in developing church planting strategy and has been from North Point Community Church in Georgia. And what I'm teaching you today is something I have learned from them and have been trying to implement. And so I want to teach it to you as accurately as possible. You know, when we started Stuttgart Harvest Church, we decided up front that we don't want fans. We don't want people who just say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I, I like that. I like that church. We wanted to develop not fans, but we have a desire to develop a family at Stuttgart Harvest Church. We don't want people that just attend. We really want people to attach. We as a church, together, all of us, we want to help each other grow. And we understand something that many, 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 many church attenders don't understand. We don't really grow in rows that we're like as we're seated here in these rows. We really grow best when we're in circles. Growth really doesn't happen here in this room. I mean, we can teach you. There can be some teaching, but it really, growth really happens in the context of relationships with other people. It happens best when you're around some people that you know and they know you And I'll be honest, that's really where life change happens best, deep life change. You know, we can say, yeah, 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 I've I've been to Stuttgart Harvest Church. I, I, I like that. And your friends may look at you and they may be thinking in their head, you've been to church. I... But I really don't see any difference in you. I don't see any change. Because the fact is that hearing, just hearing about God's word, that's... That doesn't really change us. It's doing that makes the difference in our lives. In rows, in here, you can come in and you can get up and you can leave and not really have to talk to anybody, really. 
But in circles, in circles, there's this sense of accountability. In other words, some people that you allow, and as you allow it, they know some things about your life as you allow them to know. And you know some things about theirs. And there comes some accountability there that we in our lives, we desperately need. In circles, in someone's living room, you can also develop this sense of belonging. Because like if I, if I don't show up, then I, I know in that little circle of a handful of people, I'm, I'm going to be missed. We can also develop in circles this uh, sense, we mentioned it in, in the interview, a, a sense of care. You see, the stories of Christ followers feeling cared for and giving care to other people in their group, that happens best in the context of circles and great relationships developing, not so much in rows. The church responding to a crisis that you have in your life, the church responding that's not me. That's not me. It, it, it's not the church responding if one of the vision partners is there. It's not the church responding if one of our other pastors, Donnie, you just uh, heard from him, or Cole, who's uh, working with our, our children at this moment. That's not the church responding. You see, when the people in your small group respond... Those people that you're getting to know and, and you're building relationships with, you're learning from them and the details of their life that they choose to share and, you, and they're learning from you. That group that responds to you from that group, that is the church responding to crisis in your life when things happen. That's the church responding. We have stories of that happening. You just heard some. You heard two just now. And we hear story after story of how the church has responded when someone was hurting, and it's the small group that responds. But I also have stories. I have stories of people who only committed to sit in these rows on Sunday morning, year after year after year. They were here in the rows. But I have stories of them saying, where was the church when I was in crisis, where was the church when I was hurting? Where, where was the church? And, and I asked them, what small group are you in? And they say, I'm not in a small group. And I say, that's, that's where the church is. This room and this environment and this setting is not what it means to be involved in a church. It's a part of being involved. But we unapologetically say that for care to happen, it has to happen life on life, and that best happens at Stuttgart Harvest Church. It happens in a group. It happens best. It, it, I, when, when people need care, in Arkansas County, in, 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 when they need care in Jefferson County or Prairie County or Lone Oak County, it happens best in a group, a small group of people. Some people might say, well, where, where was Stuttgart Harvest Church when I needed them? And I had to tell them, I had to say, I, I am sorry 
that you feel neglected. I'm sorry that you don't feel cared for. But what group were you in? You, you weren't in a group. I mean, don't you, don't you remember me telling you about 20 times in the last two years? Got to be in a group. That's where care can best happen here at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Well, I was serious about that. I, I, I wasn't lying. I, I wasn't just trying to get you in a group to take some kind of tally and to, 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 to show numbers to somebody and say, hey, look how many people we have in groups. I wasn't just blowing smoke about this. We, we were up front from the very beginning. If you only sit in rows, you're missing what it means to be a part of Stuttgart Harvest Church because that's where you find belonging and care and some accountability. But you know, for years, especially in the South, especially in the South, for years, people didn't think that the church had responded to their crisis unless the lead pastor showed up in their house when something was wrong. In other words, if something was happening in their life, uh, something good or bad, but usually we hear this about a tragedy, if something was happening in their life and the lead pastor wasn't in that room with them, their perception was, well, the church ignored me. The church wasn't there. And you know, that thought, especially in the South, it still persists with us here today. But the truth is, that thought, it's not biblical. So we don't teach it. It's not biblical. The church is not the pastor. The church is not the staff. The church is not the vision partners. Rather, what we do find in Scripture is that the church at its best and its most pure is the church we find within the small group. A small group of people sitting in a circle, not in, not in rows. In fact, our purpose statement at Stuttgart Harvest Church says this. We are loving the Father. We talked about that last week. Loving the Father, loving family, and friends. This morning, we're talking about family. Not talking about your biological family. We're talking about your church family. Because we want everyone. I'm just going to let you know right off the bat today. Our goal is that you get into a group. Now, if you're new this morning, you might, this might, you might be saying, wow, that is a huge step, not ready for that. But I want you to understand, up front, before you ever get involved, if you choose to get involved with Stuttgart Harvest Church, our goal is for you eventually to get into a group as soon as you can. That's our goal. And my goal this morning, and so if you're new today, you get to kind of peek behind the scenes. We're not going to bait and switch. We're just telling you up front, everything we do is to help drive you, point you, lead you toward one of these groups. Now, today though, very specifically, what we're going to say is going to talk to all of us, every single one of us here. But we have a very special focus this morning as well 
and that is to a special group of people who are here this morning, and it is you, you guys, men. Now, what we say is going to apply to all of us, but it super, super applies to us men. Because we have, and lots of people have this, not just men, but we specifically, we have this natural drift in our lives towards isolation and independence and autonomy. Everybody does, but especially men. And the truth is, really, men, we don't drift toward that. We actually pursue that. I mean, we go after that. We see stories of rich and famous people, and, and it just seems so wonderful. They get to do what they want, when they want, and we love that autonomy and that independence. And we actually, we actually hate them because they have it. And we actually celebrate when they fail because we want that so badly for ourselves. When you're a teenager, teens, you dream of autonomy, of being able to do what you want to do, make your own decisions, be your own person person and be, you know, be independent. You dream of that. In your 20s, you want it. In your 30s, you are working hard to pursue that independence. In your 40s, well, you're beginning to get a little unhappy because you realize, I, I don't seem to be getting any closer to being independent than I was in, when I was in my 20s and my 30s. And then in your 50s, you, you get angry about it because you don't have, and you want to trade your wife in for a new wife. You want, you just want to trade your car and your truck in and get, you just want to trade everything in because you're unhappy. You don't have what you have been pursuing. In the pursuit of independence, it seems like everybody around us, we will let a few people into our lives, but only the people that we think can help us can do something for us. Those are the ones we'll let in, and we'll only let them in just enough to do for us what we want them to do for us. So, sometimes we actually run the other way and don't let anybody in because we're at work and we get tired and frustrated and we, we don't want to be around anybody, and then we get home and shut the door and don't let anybody in, and we don't go out until we go to work the next day. We want this independence, this autonomy. So, I, your, your, one of your pastors, I want you to get into a group. And it means that at some point you're going to have to decide this to do that. You're going to have to say, I, I'm not going to live independent. I'm not going to strive towards autonomy or isolation that's a big decision, a big step. I don't take that lightly. This morning we're going to teach you from a passage that some of you may be familiar with. It's in the Old Testament. It's a spicy story. It's a hot story. It's about a guy named David. At this time, he's King David. This is the guy that, if you have heard about the, the little teenage guy that killed the giant with the slingshot and the stones, that's that David. So now he's gone on in his life and he's king. He's, you know, he's going to teach us something here. If you're married, he's, he's going to teach us you need a group. But we're also going to learn that if you're single, you need a group, a group too. Because, I, I mean, sometimes there's some lessons that you will not learn as a single. And you, you kind of say, oh, I'll wait till I'm married to learn about that, to learn 
uh, but you, there's going to be people in a group that help you give you a head start. They're going to be like, you know, do you, you need more than one bath a week? I mean, <laughs> there's going you're going to get some help. If you're married, you need a group. If you're single, you need a group. And we're going to learn some things from David this morning, and he's going to help us kind of just have another perspective on this whole thing. It's the story of David and this really pretty lady named Bathsheba. We're going to be reading the scripture's going to be on the screen for you in 2 Samuel verse I'm uh, sorry, chapter 11. I'm going to start with verse 2. Um, it says this. It says, late one afternoon after his uh, midday rest, well, you know, um, David is no spring chicken at this point in his life. He's about 50 years old. And I'm going to be honest with you. I would like a nap. So I can't, I can't blame him for that. He had the privilege. He got to take him an uh, afternoon nap. Way to go, David. It says, after his midday rest... David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman. What? He noticed a woman, and here's of unusual beauty. Just so happened to be, she was taking a bath. Verse 3. He sent someone. Now, David was king, he could find out anything he needed to know about any person he had his way. He was king. There was no one in his entire kingdom that he could not find out information about if he wanted to. So he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, and the wife, the wife hello, she is very, very married. The wife of Uriah the Hittite. The, Uriah, who happened to be David's friend. One of his most trusted men. A fellow warrior. A, a comrade. His buddy. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers, again, he was, had messengers, go and do all his messaging things, tell them this, ask them this. He sent messengers to get her, so, and go get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. It was his plan. That was his plan. And it's alluding to the fact that it went on and on, over and over and over again, requesting her, come to the palace, requesting her over and over again. It's so crazy to think that David is, is thinking here that he can keep this thing a secret. It's crazy. So he sent for her. Who, who did he send? A messenger. And he sent a messenger who worked at the palace. And who works with messengers at the palace? Other messengers. And what are messengers really good at? Talking about their messages. And word, word was out. What's going on here? They've been delivering messages all over the place. Did you hear? Did you hear what the king had Bubba do today? People knew, verse 5. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message. She had her own messenger. Sent David a messenger saying, 
um, pregnant. Then David in verse 6. Now David's going to do what every guy tries to do. He's going to try to control the outcome. Now that he has really blown it, he's going going to try to manage the damage. Then David sent word to Joab. This was a commander on the field. Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. Verse 7. When Uriah arrived, David asked him, Well, how's Joab doing? out there. Uriah, how, how, how's the army getting along out there in the war? How's that war progressing, by the way? Yeah, looks like rain, Uriah. Kind of hot out here, isn't it? Hmm, glad you came. And just imagine Uriah thinking, this, this is odd. I mean, he didn't need, he doesn't need me to bring him these, me- he, the king has messengers that do just this thing. I, he doesn't need me to do this. Why, why would he pull me away from my job at war in the battle to ask me these questions. What's going on here? Verse 8. Then he told Uriah, go home. Relax. And then it says, David even sent him a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. Verse 9. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. He, He slept with the guy's at the same place they were, where they were on duty. He didn't leave his comrades. Even though they were out there fighting, he stayed with those who were still guarding. Verse 10, when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, Hey, uh, buddy, he said, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night? I mean, you've you been away for so long and all. Verse 11, Uriah replied, Well, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah, they're living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are, are camping in open fields. How could I go home and wine and dine? And, and sleep with my wife. He said, I, I swear, I, I would never do such a thing. Now, David is unable to control the outcome. At this point, he is not able to manage the damage. So if, if Uriah does not play along here, this is not going to work out. So David tries again, verse 12. Well... um. Stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you can return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. So now David has an opportunity for damage control plan number two, verse 13. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. 
So now, you know, we do stupid things when we're drunk. David knows we're more susceptible. That's why the Bible said, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. David knew what he was doing. But then, but even then, he could not get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So, so far, what we have seen is that Uriah has much more integrity at this moment in time than David does. But David is trying to control. He has to control. He has to manage the damage, control the outcome. So this continues, verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. You see, he's been unable to control it. So he goes to this step. He gave the letter to Uriah to deliver. It was closed up, had the official seal. Uriah could not open it, could not open it. So he sends his letter, this letter with this information about Uriah, sends it to Joab, verse 15. The letter instructed Joab, here's what it said. Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Check. Outcome managed. Bathsheba's husband dead. Damage controlled. But people knew because it was obvious David, in this moment, permanently damaged his credibility and his integrity with his children, who many of whom were adults at this time. They, they see it. They all know. I mean, I, I mean, Uriah dies, and a few days later, Dad, King David, is married to Uriah's wife, and also we just find out at the same time that Bathsheba's pregnant. Suddenly, David's children, they knew. It's like, Dad, Dad, you had her husband killed in an accident so you could have her? The outcome that he thought he was controlling is now out of control. Out of control. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet. Now, why would God send Nathan the prophet to talk to David? Well, because nobody else had access to him. No one else had access to David's life. He had isolated himself. He was inaccessible. And that's what we have a tendency to do. We isolate ourselves and push people back and push people away. And if we're not careful... We become inaccessible. People can't get to us. And when we are inaccessible, here's the question for us to think about. Do we make better decisions or worse decisions? Obviously, for most of us, when we push everyone out of our lives, most of us, most of us, we make worse decisions. And it's so obvious. As we look at the life of David, we're like, listen, this is obvious. David, that that was a bonehead thing to do. I mean, it's obvious. How are you going to hide that? It's just, it's silly. I I mean, that was 
that was dumb. We can see that. David, obviously, we can see that was bad. You've isolated yourself. It's bad. But what we can see in the lives of other people, it is almost impossible to see in our own lives. David didn't see it in his. We see it in his. But guess what? We don't see it in ours. We have reasons why we want to isolate ourselves. People irritate us. And they get on our nerves. And they ask me to do things I don't want to do. And I don't want to have to tell them no. I'll tell them no, but I don't want to have to tell them no. I'm around boneheads all day at work. I don't need it at church, too. They say they're full of imperfect people at Sugar Harvest Church, and I want you to know they are super imperfect, and they need to go ahead and add irritating. Imperfect and irritating people. We have reasons. We can't see it, though, in ourselves. David couldn't see it in his self. If anyone should have been able to make a great decision, I would think it would be David. I would think it would be David, the one who God says, a man after my own heart, the the one that, that wrote most of the Psalms, David. The one who was the only one who had the courage to say, I'll kill that giant. God is going to help me do it. David, if anyone could have, I would think it would be David. But David... Seems here, he seems to have a direct line access to God, but here he makes this horrible decision. So God sends Nathan, it says, the Bible says, to tell David this story. So Nathan comes to him and tells him this story as if, kind of like, I've got this problem, this is happening. Tell me what you think. What do we need to do here? And here's what he says. There's two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other one was poor. Verse 2, the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. I mean, he had sheep and cattle everywhere. Livestock galore. Livestock coming out the wazoo. He was loaded. Verse 3, the poor man, though, he, he owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb. I mean, he grew up with his children. It ate from the man's table, his own plate. It drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. So, I mean, this is no ordinary lamb. This is really, this one lamb is part of this man's family. It's not livestock, it's family. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, listen to what he does. Instead of doing that, he took the poor man's lamb, the one single family member lamb, and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Verse 5, the Bible says, so David was furious. You can see it in other people and get mad about it. It's almost impossible to see in yourself. He was furious. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Now, the Bible's laws were clear. That was not a a, a capital offense, a death penalty offense. It wasn't. David here is overreacting. He's over angry, possibly because he understands there is some discontinuity in his life and what he's saying and living, what he's perceiving here. David is over angry, 
And here's what he says in verse 6. He said, okay, he, he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Verse 7, Nathan looks at him in the eyes and he says, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. It's you, Nathan said. It, it, David, that is you. And God had to send me here. God had to send me here to tell you that because no one else had access to your life. And look what you've done. David, you've embarrassed yourself. You've ruined your integrity. You've ruined your relationship with your children. You've made a mess. Why, Why, David? Why? Why did you do it? David looks at him and he says, you're right. He said, I've sinned. I blew it. And guess what? God, God forgave him. God completely forgave him. But listen to this. He forgave him, but he did not erase, did not erase the consequences of his dumb, of his nobody tells me what to do, of his I'm in charge here decision. Every one of us, me, you, we all have that same potential in our lives to do something. To make a choice and do something that we will pay a price for and never recover. Forgiven? Yes. But we live with the consequences. David David never recovered in his family from this decision. He had forgiveness. But consequences usually stay, and they sure did for David. I mean, the baby dies, uh, his kids, and now it, it becomes just a complete mess with his children and his family, sons killing each other. I mean, it's just, it just, everything comes unglued, and that's really the pinnacle, the point at which it happened. This whole story begins with a step. And as we talked about this story, you saw where it was going. If you didn't know, even know the story yet, you saw where it was going. Now, I, I withheld some information from you. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war... David was supposed to be gone. It's not that David was just gone and not there where he wouldn't get into trouble. David was supposed to be with those people that had access to him. And, 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 and he had some accountability there. That place where he belonged. Those men who knew him the best. His his commanders and comrades. That's where he was supposed to be. David sent Joab, the Bible says here, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. He sent them. He sent them. They destroyed the Ammonite army. They, they laid siege to the city. They were busy, but it says, however, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. It's almost as if he's saying, you know what, you younger guy, that's okay for you younger guys. Y'all take care. Of I, I've done my duty. I, 
I don't need to go. You younger guys go do that. You guys take care of that. I, I don't have to go. It's as if we today are saying, you know what, that's kind of for the women and the children. Men, I, I, I don't really need that. That's for the kiddos. That's for the women folk. I, I don't need that. Y'all go on ahead. I'm okay. I'm my own man. I don't do that stuff. David left himself isolated, on purpose, inaccessible. That was his plan. Autonomy. I'm in charge. I'm in control. And he was separated, isolated from the only group that had access to him. And instead, he just chose to isolate himself. Wars for them. It's for the younger guys. It's for the kiddos. I'm going to stay home. Friends, we can't do that. We can't choose to just stay home. We can't isolate ourselves because if we do, we will pay. We'll pay in different ways. We'll pay with our marriage. You might pay with your kids. You might pay with your family. When we isolate ourselves from all the, the good folks in the church that, that we need to be accessible to, when we isolate ourselves from them, guess what? They're there's plenty of people around us, plenty of people. And you normally don't get into trouble by yourself. I mean, just ask our folks in the recovery group. It's usually not alone. There's people with you. And if you're not accessible to these people, you are accessible to them. Now, please do not misunderstand me. You have to come at least one more time to know that he, that. I never, never tell our church, separate yourself from the world around us. Because you know what? You and me, we are called to live with, among all of our friends who are not part of this church. Come back next week. We're talking about that. We're called to live with them, love them, lead them, pray for them, care for them. But if you are pushing away the very community that God has placed you in called the church, and you're sitting only in rows and never in a circle, pushing them back, pushing them away. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that or patience for that. I don't care for that. I don't want that. Whatever the reason is, if we're pushing them away, most of us, if we're pushing these people away here, then we are drawing other people in, and that's the, those are the, that's the relationship we're going to get in trouble with. Those are the people we're going to blow it with. That's what David did. He paid. He paid. When we isolate ourselves, there's still people out there. We're going to get in trouble with them. Autonomy in our lives, it is a myth. It is a trap. Independence is not a worthy goal. Because here's why. Here's our bottom line for today. God created you not for autonomy, not for isolation. God created you for community. And at Stuttgart Harvest Church, 
This is our focus. To see you get into a group and to have you involved in a group for the rest of your life. That's the truth. Why? Because you were not meant to journey alone. If you stay in rows only and you're going to keep yourself isolated from God's plan, because I promise you, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a part of his plan for every single one of us is that we are in community with other believers. And it doesn't happen in these rows. It happens in circles. We even see that portrayed in the New Testament as the church is begun, as it is launched. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, and all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's part of what we're doing right now. I'm not an apostle, but we are teaching you from what the apostles have said and what the prophets in the Old Testament have said. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and here we go, to the small groups, and to fellowship and sharing in meals. See, even those groups eating together, I promise you, it sounds silly, but it's part of being the church. And then it says sharing meals, and then it just adds, just so you're not confused, we're not just talking about the Lord's Supper. They did that too, but actually, they eat together. They throw down food. It's a buffet together which makes the fat boy happy about that part of community. But then it ends it and it says, and to prayer. This we know. This we can be confident in. We know this without a doubt. The church that groups together, the church that spends time in their homes together, the church that shares meals Together, the church that prays together grows stronger together. This we know. And we want to help you do that. Here's how. This morning we just have one next step that we're suggesting. Now God may have told you something else. You do that, whatever he has said to you. The one that we're suggesting for everybody is just simply this. The way we're going to sign up for groups is going to be different than we've done it in the past. We're going to have one single night where we just gather and we hang out together. Uh, I think it's going to be over at the Grand Prairie Center. We'll let you know when later. We're going to just come together one single night, and that very night, that's the night that we're just going to sign up and, and, and find a group. Well, well, all the groups will be represented and find a group that night to, to, to try out, to be a part of for a few weeks. We're going to call it Group Link. We borrowed that name. We love it. We're just going to show up that one night, and we're just going to get linked up to a group, and it's all going to happen that one night as we come together. And we're simply asking you this: Will you be a part of that night? We don't know. I don't know when it is yet. Donnie may already know, but just will you be a part of that night? Whatever it is, will you just on your connection card or the comment section down at the bottom says prayer and comments, or my next step where it says other? Will you just put Group Link? Yes, I'll be there. Just do that. Just will you be a part of a group? And if you if you won't do that today, will you will you do this? Will you have a conversation with God about, well, this is why I don't want to be in a group. Is that okay with you, God? You just talk to God about that. You don't even have to talk to me. If you want to, to Facebook me, text me. I'll encourage you to and do my best. But sign up today or 
have a conversation with God today that says, God, here's why I don't want to be a group. Is that okay with you? Just talk to him. And yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's difficult. You know what? I think, I think group link is going to be March 13th, I believe. You can mark that down. If I'm wrong, I'll correct it on Facebook this week. But will you just simply, it's, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be tough to give in and say, yeah, I'll do that. It's a big step, and yes, there's fear and uncertainty involved, but you don't have to reveal anything you don't want to reveal. It's just, it's just a, will you begin the process of being in a group? Will you leave the myth of autonomy and isolation and independence and say, God, I want to be in your community. Let's pause now. I'm going to pray for you and let's address our Heavenly Father in song. Don't leave yet. Let's worship. Three songs. Three songs. Let's pray. God, so many times we have looked into our lives and we have had to declare to ourselves, you are that man. God, forgive us for insulating ourselves from accountability and from growth. God, forgive us for pursuing autonomy instead of community. God, many of us are going to take that big step. Many of us are going to move towards community. As scary as it is, as uncertain as it is, as much as we hate doing that. We're going to find that place where we belong, where we can care for others and they can care for us, where we can be known and not isolated. God, help us have the courage to do it. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with this information and give us the courage to do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we sing these songs of worship to you. Amen.